friends, welcome to God on Tap. And as always, I am Nike Spalding, and we are pressing on in the book of Jude. And we are going at about one mile per hour as we make our way through this book. Uh, but it is wildly fascinating, and um, I'm enjoying myself. So hopefully, you guys are enjoying it too. But we are, we finally closed the door on verse 10, and we are going to jump into verses 11 through 13 today. And so, and this will be another multi part. Uh, chunk of scripture just because again it's just so deep so but here we go let's jump right into the verses and then we'll begin to unpack it this is the word of the lord jude 11 through 13 jude 11 through 13 woe to them for they walked in the way of cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to balaam's error and perished in korah's rebellion these are hidden reefs at your love feast As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Uh, okay, so we closed the door, right? So Jude began his letter. He's like, hey, grace and peace, love, love, love. I'm the half-brother of Jesus, but I'm not going to drop that bomb. So instead, I'll call myself the servant. Hey, I was going to write to you about this, but I got to write to you about that. And let me get into the body of the text. Be careful about these false teachers. Let me remind you what they're like. And then he gives us three Old Testament examples that are also weaved in with extra biblical literature from like First Enoch and Testament of Moses. And he's like, gap, 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 punching and punching and punching. And then you're like, oh, okay, so we finished those three examples. What's coming next? And I can tell you what it is. It's more body punches. Like Jude is not letting up the gas. Like this dude is relentless. And so here's Jude. He has finished his three Old Testament examples, and now he's going to re-up with three more Old Testament examples. And true to Jude's form, he just like whispers right over them. He's just like, pss, 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 pss. you know what I'm talking about? And of course, we're like, what? Not only that... The three Old Testament examples that he gives, he's going to give Cain, he's going to give Balaam, and he's going to give Korah. Those are three stories that come from the scriptures. But what's interesting about it is this, most scholars agree what he's, he's not just referencing the Old Testament story, but there's this thing called the Targums. And what the Targums are, are these, basically they're these translation, paraphrases, explanation, Aramaic things. And what they are is basically they're these Jewish leaders who would take these Old Testament stories, they would translate them into Aramaic, which is a very common language uh, during that time, and then they would sort of expand. Like where there were gaps in the story, they would fill them out or add more to it or interpret what was happening. So most likely what Jude is doing when he mentions these three examples, Cain, Balaam, and Korah, he's not just referencing the Old Testament story, but he's also referencing the, the Targums. And the reason why is because we go from the three Old Testament examples, the first three Old Testament examples, and those were more like groups, groups who rebelled. Okay, so you've got the people who get to Kadesh Barnea and they don't go in because they're scared. You've got the people who want to sleep or the, the, the group of angels who want to sleep with men. And then you've got the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, now he's transitioning away from people who rebelled and they got their just consequences. And now he's narrowing and he's talking about individuals. And so these individuals are leaders, that led people in rebellion. And if you don't have the Targums, you can't quite see how Cain and Balaam led people into rebellion. So we go from groups as our three Old Testament examples to individuals. 
And then we go from um, really, it's sort of like, hey, these are groups of people that were sinners. And now we're really transitioning into, no, these are false teachers. And so what we're going to do is in this section that I just read to you, 11 through 13, he starts out with these three Old Testament examples. We get our new three Old Testament examples. And then he gives three, or not three, it's like really like six sort of metaphors. He uses like, he calls them like waterless clouds and um, their reefs and all that. We'll talk about those tomorrow. We're going to unpack what those metaphors mean, which of course you you can probably already guess. It's not good. It's not good to be a waterless cloud cloud, right? You don't want to be a cloud that promises rain in an ancient world, an agrarian world who needs rain because they live in a desert and he's like, there's no water in them, right? So we'll unpack those tomorrow. But today we're going to do the same thing that we've been doing is we're going to look at the Old Testament examples. We're going to double click on them, hyperlink them, open them up and see what is it that Jude is referencing. We're going to look at not just the biblical story, but what did the Targum say and see how Jude is comparing the false teachers of his day to these examples. Now, the last time we did this, I double clicked on each thing and those were each individual episodes. I've decided that we're just going to press through today. So this may end up being like a 35 minute podcast, but it is what it is. And so we're just going to do it. And then that way, if your commute isn't 35 minutes, and let's be real, who's commuting right now? No one, but maybe you guys will start this back up after Corona. Uh, and then you can just, you know, if your commute's halfway, then you, I got you on both ends. I'll get you to work and I'll get you home in this podcast or maybe your kid's nap time or whenever you listen to these things. And so we're just going to press through because he does it so quickly. I want to, I want to hit them all together because they're one big unit. Okay, so let's look at example one. He says, he's starting up with our three new examples, and he says them, woe to them, which I love, because this is an homage. This is a, this is, Jude is doing the Old Testament prophet thing, and if y'all remember way back when we did Amos, and if you haven't listened to the Amos ones, go back. I think they're the best thing we've done on here. Woe to you is something Old Testament prophets would do, and it was more than just like a, hey, beware. It was a prophetic proclamation like you do not want anybody being like whoa to you ever like ever in the bible and this is a this was a formula that prophets would use in their writings and in their teachings and it meant to be like hey judgment cometh okay and so i love like jude is going old school here like he is pulling from the old testament example and being like i'm about to drop the hammer woe to you and so in the first section he's talking about the sinners right he's kind of talking he's like to the to the people he's writing this to the letter who this is coming to he's writing to this audience and he's like hey let me tell you about them and right now he's like narrowed in and he's looking at the false teachers and he's like hey bros woe and bros specifically you know these were men woe to you and he's going old testament on them and i just love it because it's just an homage to the old testament prophets who i particularly have a fondness for so here we go so woe to you he says what are you for they walked in the way of cain and so you say okay he walked in the way of cain how is cain a false teacher because if you go just to the biblical example right to the story of cain you've got cain and abel the biblical story goes like this adam and eve sin they get kicked out of the garden they have two sons the two sons uh abel is one who deals with animals and cain is one who grows food they bring their offerings to god god accepts the offering of abel he doesn't accept the offering of cain that takes cain off god says to him if you do right will i not also accept that and cain's like meh, 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 meh. and so cain goes and kills abel and then the it says the blood of Abel cries out, which is a really profound statement. God comes and he confronts Cain and he's just like, am I my brother's keeper? And God's like, uh, yeah, which is what we're all supposed to think. And then, and then he tells Cain, Hey, you have done wrongly and all this stuff. Okay. So how then do we get that story and compare that to a false teacher who's leading someone astray? Well, 
because Jude has been, he's set up a pattern. He's done this many, many times. He not only quotes the Bible, but he also quotes extra biblical literature that would have been very popular for his audience. So he's quoting these well-known things. The post-biblical literature about Cain makes Cain the first heretic. Okay. And what I mean by this is there are in the Targums, Cain is not just the one who kills Abel, but he is the one that declares God isn't good. God isn't just. Okay. And so it's not just that Cain is the first one who, who expresses murderous rage and then kills his brother. It's that he also verbally in the Targums when, and again, these are the translations, the expanded paraphrases, the way they describe Cain is he's the first heretic. He's not just the first one who commits murder. He's the first person to speak out against God and to say false things about God that he is. And he is attempting to do so in a way that would bring others with him. Okay, so this is why when Jude is picking Cain, he's not just picking him because he was a murderer. He's picking him because his audience would have understood or believed about Cain that Cain was somebody who not only engaged in murderous acts, but he engaged in speaking false things about God, which that reminds Jude of these false teachers. Okay, so that's that one, which is kind of crazy right? I mean, that like, okay. So then we've got Balaam. Okay. So he says, the first one is he talks about Cain. He's like, and, and then they abandon, he says, they walked in the way of Cain, which is they are murderous heretics. And they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's era. And so you say, okay, Balaam, who's Balaam? Well, if you go back to your guys' favorite Old Testament book, which I know all of our favorite Old Testament book is the book of Numbers, which side note, Y'all don't sleep on numbers. Like, I know that there's got, like, some of those long genealogies. Like, I know there are parts of numbers, like, when you look at them, your eyes roll back in your head and drool starts to fall out because you think you're going to fall asleep. Like, I get it. I get every year our Bible reading plans. Like, if you survive Leviticus, by the time you get to numbers, you're like, are you kidding me? But, y'all, there are some fire stories in numbers. And two of them we're going to talk about today, okay? And so here's one. So Balaam. Here's what's going on in the book of Numbers. Or, yeah, Numbers. This is that Balaam's heir. And y'all might remember Balaam because Balaam's got the donkey, okay? The people of Israel are in the land of Moab, okay? The king of Moab is a guy named Balak, okay? And you can get this from Numbers 22 through 25. You can go read it. Balak is terrified of the Israelites. And he's like, this ain't going to work for me, okay? I don't need these people near me. I, don't, I need them to go away. And remember, in the Numbers, the people are not yet, like, they're, they're not yet taking over the land, okay? So they're always facing, like, external foes and whatnot. So Balak, B-A-L-A-K, Balak is like, let's go get a prophet, Balaam, to speak ill of Israel, okay? So they pay him, Balaam, to come speak ill. Now, we talked about this in Amos too. Prophets should not be for hire, ever, ever. That's no, 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 no. Either you have an oracle from God or you don't, but you should not be getting paid to say things on behalf of the king. That's just stupid, you stupid, Balaam. So anyway, so Balaam's gonna go because he's greedy. And he's like, whatever, you can pay me, I'll come do it. Well, if you remember, this is the crazy story. Balaam is riding his donkey, and his donkey can see the angel in the road that's going to kill them. So the donkey stops walking, and Balaam's like, what are you doing, dummy? And so he's like trying to get him to go, and he starts beating his donkey, which, by the way, you wrong for that, don't beat animals. And so all of a sudden, he like, the donkey speaks, and he's like, listen, bro, I'm trying to keep us from getting killed. And it's like, what? Okay, so first of all, first warning, Balaam. Yo donkey is talking. Turn around. Okay, bro. I mean, what? Go home. Reconsider. But 
he doesn't. So he continues on and he goes and he meets Balak and Balak's like, hey, bro, can you speak a curse against the people of Israel? He's like, yeah, <clears throat> thus saith the Lord. And then he spews out a blessing. Like literally God, <laughs> God prevents him from speaking ill of his people. Like y'all, this story is hilarious. Okay. So this is what's happening. He comes and he's like, hey, bro, um, go ahead and speak that ill word. And he's like, I can't. And then he tries it again and he still can't. And he tries it again and he still can't. And you're like, what the? So that's how that story goes. It's it's real weird, whatever. So why is Jude picking it? Well, again, we have the biblical account of what's happening, but then we've also got the Targums. And the Jewish tradition tells us that although, although Balaam could not speak a negative word against Israel, he still puts the idea in Balak's head about how to entice the Israelites to fall into sin. And to then and then they end up losing like thousands of lives because they entice him and all that. So like although Balaam cannot do the very thing in the biblical story that Balak is paying him to do, he still puts the idea in Balaam, like the way the Targums interpret this event is he's like, hey, he is still the false teacher that gives them an idea to cause the Israelites to fall into sin and therefore he is a person leading them into rebellion. So again, Jude's pattern here. He is trying to teach us about individual false teachers. He references a biblical story, which is a crazy enough story in and of itself, but he's also trusting that his readers are going to know the Targums, like they're going to know the extra, the extra biblical information as to why Balaam is a false teacher as opposed to just a false prophet, okay? So not just that he can't, he can't just speak ill of the Israelites, but he's the one then that puts this idea in their head about how to entice him, okay? So we've got Cain, the original heretic, all right? Then we've got, um, we've got Balaam, who is now putting this idea in her head. And then he keeps going in the text and he says, after he says, they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Okay, so this is another one of those crazy stories from the book of Numbers, all right? In the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 16, we, okay, so first of all, I'll tell you what happens in the Bible story, okay? Here's the Bible story of Korah's rebellion. Moses is leading the people of Israel. Now remember, the people, they, man, they are grumblers, okay? They just are. And they're sick of being in the wilderness. They they haven't been in the promised land. They, you know, they're probably, not probably, they're sick of eating manna and quail and blah, blah, blah. They're sick. They're just sick of it, right? And like, like humans are apt to do, sometimes we just question our leadership, okay? So they don't, like, they, they question Moses' leadership throughout throughout this time okay never mind that he got the you know, like got them out of Egypt and received the tablets from God and his face was a glow never mind that's fine we'll still question his leadership never mind that at every turn when they need something God provides but whatever question Moses's leadership that's fine it's a human thing to do well Korah not only questions his leadership like one he gets these two other guys to like incite them like Dathan and Abriam or Abri I don't know how to say his name these Hebrew names are hard on me I wasn't as good of a Hebrew student as I was a Greek student straight up so my pronunciation on the Hebrew stuff y'all I do my best but we'll just call it what it is so anyways Korah convinces them to like grumble against Moses and basically get their families to like rebel against them and be like we're not gonna do that well Moses is like, fine, we'll let God, we'll let God decide. So Korah leads the people into rebellion. And then, and then the two little helper guys, right, them and their family come out. And this is where it's crazy. Like the, this, the book of numbers, again, you can't sleep on it because it's crazy. 
Moses is like, okay, you guys come on out here with all your stuff and we're going to let God decide. And if God decides that you guys are not the rightful leaders, we'll just let the ground swallow you up and you can go down into Sheol, which is another way of saying like down into like the the downward parts, like down into like the, the inward parts of the earth where you do not want to be the death chamber, so to speak. And literally the text is like, and then as soon as Moses finished speaking, the ground opens up and these people get swallowed whole. What? Like we, what? What? Okay. That's crazy, right? Well, you've got that story. And then you got the story of the Targums, which say not only did Korah incite that actual rebellion, but part of the reason why they incited the rebellion right before number 16 in numbers 15, God has this little passage. It's just like, you know, part of scripture where basically he's like, listen, on your clothes, I want you to have these fringes and the fringes are meant to be a way for you to remember the good law. And apparently like, this is what the Targums say is that Korah was like, that is stupid. That's a stupid law. And so Korah and his little minions, instead of doing what God says, they created blue fringes on their clothes and they're like, we ain't doing that. Okay, first of all, that's just so stupid, okay? Like, anyways, but that's what the Targums say. So the Targums are not only taking Korah's actual rebellion, which we have from the text in number 16, but then they're expanding it and being like, they created their own laws and there's other places that say they literally created a schism, like a divide between God's people which God's people aren't supposed to be, are always supposed to be unified. Um, obviously, where their sin were to put it out of the camp, but otherwise, blessed are brothers when they live together in unity. Like we are, like the God's people are meant to be a unified people. We're meant to show the world that we can get along. And so Korah and his little minions are creating a schism. Not good, not good. And God judges them by what? Opening up the earth and swallowing them whole. So that's bad, right? So yeah, so here's Jude, okay? Here's Jude. Jude is going to say, hey, here were three Old Testament examples of people rebelling. Boom, 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 boom. We spent, you know, five days on that. Then he's like, hey, by the way, in one sentence, in one sentence, I'm going to give you three more Old Testament examples that are, of course, going to be dependent on you understanding also the like extra biblical literature around them. Because what I'm trying to do now is instead of groups of people who rebelled, I'm going to tell you about individuals who rebelled. And you're kind of going, hey, what's the order here, right? Like, Jude, why did you go Cain and then go a later story in Numbers, which is Balaam, and then an earlier story, which is Korah? And really, when you think about it, it's probably because he's ratcheting up the degree of their consequence. I'm, I'm not sure that you can think of a much worse consequence than like what we had with Sodom and Gomorrah, which was what his third example was earlier. And then here, where the ground opens up and swallows them whole. Ha! <laughs> Right? And so Jude's point, again, Jude, the brother, half-brother of Jesus, the, the, you know, the servant of Jesus Christ, the one who's coming, and he's saying to the people who are, who are reading his letter, hey, I'm writing to you because I am concerned about these false teachers. And he talks about what the false teachers are like. And then he turns to them. He's like, woe to you, which is this Old Testament. I'm about to drop the hammer on you. And then he gives us our three examples, Cain, Balaam, and Korah. And not only is it the example from scriptures, but we, if, we are, if we are Jewish people receiving this letter from Jude during the time that he wrote it, we would have understood Cain. He's the first heretic. Like there's writings that talk about Cain being like, God is not just. And there is no justice in the afterlife. There is no justness with God. Like there are writings saying that's what Cain says because he's so upset about this, right? So Cain is not just a murderer, false teacher. 
boom, we've got story of Balaam. We would have known the biblical story. Be like, oh yeah, Balaam, yeah, he's a he's an idiot. Like he gets paid to like speak prophetic things, but he can't do it. But knowing that, we would have known if we're receiving this letter that not only did he try to speak an oracle against God's people, and he couldn't. He then entices the Moabite king. Like he's the one that tells the Moabite king how to harm the Israelites. Boom, false teacher. And then we have our third example, Korah. Not only is Korah somebody who rebels in the biblical text, but we would have known he rebels against God's good word. Again, a law unto himself. And then boom, what happens? The ground, the ground swallows them, (laughs) y'all. The ground swallows them. Okay, so what's our so what here? One, it's the same so what I've been saying all along, right? I mean, there's this like incredible danger of being a law unto yourself okay so that that same like all this so what you've heard me say over the last few days like go back rewind those play them again that's my so what here but i i have two so what's that are like uh they're they're derived from the text but they're not like they're not probably the like the most acute so what from this text is is what i've already been saying like there there is a real and seriousness there's there's a there's a real seriousness to rebelling from god like there just is and i mean how many more examples does jude have to give he's gonna keep going like tomorrow we're gonna talk about his metaphors that he pulls from nature but but so you got you get that like i'm beating a dead horse so here here's my here's my one so what just as a bible teacher like this is like y'all this is not jude is not saying this so that his audience will do this but i'm gonna take this text and say hey here's a good so what for us okay so hear me i'm not saying the point of jude verse 11 is this but i am saying as a corollary to jude 11 and what we've already read here's a big so what for us i think the bible the bible the bible wow like I said, Hebrew words are hard for me, guys. I'm just kidding. That's not a Hebrew word. Uh, I think the Bible is utterly fascinating. <laughs> I think it is, um, I think it gets a bad rap. I think that because it is a spiritual book that is capable of transforming our lives, I think because the Bible testifies about who Jesus is, because it's a living word, because it is sharper than any two-edged sword, because it is profitable for training, teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training up in righteousness, all that stuff, like, because the Bible is more than just a book, like, I believe that it is very difficult for us to get into it, because I know that there's an enemy that seeks to keep us out of it, like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm just gonna get a little Holy Ghost here, like, there is, it is much easier for us to pick up books on our beach reads than it is for us to pick up the Bible on a daily habit, because if it was easy, we'd all do it. And I don't believe that it's difficult simply because we're lazy. I believe it's difficult because I think there's a spiritual war at place against this book. But but I also think part of why it's difficult is because it gets a little bit of a bad rap. Like I think people think it's just like this really antiquated old book that is Old Testament, mean God, New Testament, wimpy Jesus, but hey, don't worry, he dies on the cross. A little bit later, New Testament, some weird, hippy-dippy Holy Spirit stuff. Ends the book with Revelation, like who could possibly begin to understand what that's even about? And then, okay, it's 2,000 years old, so here you go, read it, read it every day, enjoy it, love it. (laughs) But it's so much more, like I think that's what people think of it, but it is so, y'all, just the book of numbers, y'all, is like crazy. Just from today, the things we talked about today. So what's my so what? I think, I think God's perfect. I think his word is, since it's inspired by him, I think it is profitable and all that. But I also think it is wildly interesting. And I think we've done a disservice to people by not teaching. I, I don't think most of the church is prepared to open the Bible on their own, to read it, to glean from it and understand it. And that's ultimately why I started this podcasts in the first place and why I'm picking kind of obscure books because I think that it is hard 
to understand. I think most of us, before we're trained, don't know how to open an ancient book and read it and, and understand it. Now, I'm not saying the Spirit's not with you. I'm not saying you can't understand it. But I but I do know that in the ancient church, literacy was low for so many poor people. And because they were a people of the book, they would literally have literacy lessons to help people so that they could read this book. Like, like I know that in oppressed peoples throughout history, the thing that they did in order to help oppressed people was to teach them to read so that they could read from the scriptures that talks about freeing the captives, that talks about giving freedom for the oppressed, that talks about a king who comes in and he sets the captives free. Like, I think that this book is so unbelievably fascinating and interesting and powerful and necessary that... My so what is just this. It's just an encouragement for us to read it. And I, I know that sounds so silly, right? But I just, and, and maybe, you know, maybe I'm, I'm being naive in the sense that, like, um, maybe, maybe we need a lot more help and a lot more, like, like, like that's why I, I love the Bible Project, right? Because they're taking this complex book and they're breaking it down into simple, digestible understanding. And so I want to I wanna cater to a world that, it's hard for us to understand this, which is why I'm doing this podcast. But I also just want to flat out just say, y'all, the Bible's interesting. It just is. And I hope that as I teach all the word that I do it in such a way that it creates in you a desire to know it more. And if I'm not, forgive me for that. But I guess I just, as a so what, Jude assumed his readers understood this. But I don't, <laughs> 2,000 years later, I don't, we don't know these stories, right? Like, we got, we don't, we just don't. And that's okay. Like, this isn't a message of shame. Like, I think the church has failed y'all. It's why I do what I do. I was shocked when I went to seminary and learned how little people who've grown up in the church actually know their Bible, especially their Old Testament. That's why I started there, right? But I just want to, I guess my soul is just to tell you, the Bible is wildly interesting. It's still alive. It's, it's helpful. It's necessary. It is beautiful. It's revelatory. And it's been preserved for us. And so just to so it's just to delight in the scriptures, I guess, is, is one of the so what's. And then the final so what. This is Easter week as I'm recording this. This is live. This would be what I call Angry Monday. It'd be the day that Jesus comes and he flips over tables is the day that I'm recording this. And I just think about the consequences for this these rebellious people. And I think about in a true sense that though I haven't led a rebellion of God's people like Korah, and though I haven't murdered my siblings, though the scriptures in the New Testament say if you've been angry, you've committed murder. So in that very true sense, I, I do have a murderous spirit at times. Um, but I, I, I have rebelled from God. And I'm, I'm, I re- resonate with Paul when he says I'm the chief of sinners. And so I guess just as I'm reading these very just and necessary consequences for these false teachers and for these sinners, I'm still struck by a gratitude for the provision of Jesus on the cross. And that even at my worst moment, I know that the ground's not going to swallow me up in a in an everlasting way. And that the day is coming when Christ will return and I will be with him forever. And if you have chosen to place your faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, you believe there's a triune God who loved you so much that the Father appointed your salvation, the Son accomplished it, and the Spirit applied it, and you said yes to their gracious invitation to your sinful self, then you too can read these words from Jude. And though you can feel the weight of them because they are serious, you can also take a deep breath knowing that you are being kept. You are being kept by Jesus for the day to come. And so on this Easter week, I just find myself grateful for the gift of Jesus. I find myself grateful that this COVID corona run world is not our final home. 
and that though I am a sinner and the chief of them at times, I'm being kept for a very sure and good day in front of me. And you are too, if you believe in Jesus. So receive that encouragement now. Go read your Bibles, but I don't say that as a legalist. I say that as your friend, but more than that, more than that, more than that, man, God loves us. And we're so grateful that he's keeping us for that day of celebration and jubilee that we look forward to. All right, friends, if nobody's told you that they love you, I do. But way more importantly, the God of our salvation is crazy about you. Peace.